Good morning everyone, it's great to be together. Before we begin, I thought it might be good to give everyone an update on my weeding project from a few weeks ago. It seems my perseverance started a revolution and the weeding has been taken to its full extreme and we now have no hedge, except this one tree, which reminds us both of Ethiopia, so it survived my lockdown gardening. This morning, we're going to conclude our series on Colossians by looking at the remainder of chapter three and chapter four. There are three obvious sections here. The first in Colossians 3, 18 through to 4, verse 1, in which Paul addresses the Christian household. The second in Colossians 4, from verses 2 to 6, which deals with the importance of prayer and our example among outsiders. And finally, Colossians 4, verses 7 to 18, which is basically Paul delivering greetings from a number of other followers to encourage the church at Colossae. Before we delve in, just a quick reminder of what Johnny shared last week particularly the contrast that Paul makes between what the Colossian lives were like before they were raised with Christ and what their lives are like now because they are hidden with Christ in God. The picture Paul uses is that of putting off the old self, the sinful earthly nature, and putting on the new self or the new wardrobe of compassion, kindness, forgiveness, and most importantly, love. As we consider these chapters today, it's helpful to remember that love creates the foundation for all of what Paul goes on to say in the remainder of chapter 3 and into chapter 4. Colossians 3, 18-24 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favouritism. On the one hand, these verses offer practical advice to the Christian household. On the other, they can seem problematic in our culture. And perhaps we've even experienced times where verses like these have been misused. On a first read, Paul might be accused of being overly prescriptive, prejudice against women, or even condoning slavery. From the outset, I think it's important not to skip on past aspects of the Bible that we struggle with, or perhaps carry some tension as we reflect on them today. What I'll attempt to do this morning is explain how I've handled these verses. It may not be the only way, but essentially I've considered two things. The original context and how we apply these verses today. So let's start with the original context. The first thing we need to remember is that the Bible is absolutely the inspired word of God. It has as much relevance for us today as it did when it was written many years ago. But as we read the book of Colossians, we must also remember that it is written to a people, a time, and a place. Considering the cultural and societal context in which the letter to the Colossians was first written helps us to answer some of the questions that we might have around the instructions that Paul gives. Firstly, Paul writes to a first century Roman household. 
In this context, the head of the Roman family was the oldest living male, the paterfamilias, or father of the family. All authority rested with the paterfamilias, and he held nearly limitless power over his family, even that of life and death. In contrast to this culture, Paul has already affirmed in his letter to the Colossians that all authority rests with Jesus, the one who has power even over death and the one in whom true life is found. In these verses, Paul is reshaping the most basic Roman institution around Jesus, who rules by self-giving love. So while Paul doesn't call for the household structure to be abolished or overthrown, he does call for it to be transformed. And this starts with the recognition that Jesus is Lord. I keep notes on my phone of all the funny things that our children say so that I can reference them accurately at a future date such as this. I will need to play three members of our family for the purposes of retelling this story from a few months ago. Myself, Matthew, our three-year-old son, and my husband, Johnny. So we're standing in the kitchen um, and we're sort of messing around and I said to Matthew, Matthew, who's the boss of this house? And so Matthew starts to chant, mommy, mommy, mommy. And so Johnny, who's standing uh, over on the other side of the kitchen, who's the real boss? Matthew, mommy, mommy, mommy. And so Johnny says, Matthew, who's the spiritual authority of this house, as the Bible says? And Matthew takes a moment. He looks at Johnny. He looks at me. He thinks and declares, Jesus. Matthew sums up what Paul is explaining to the Colossians. Transformation happens in our homes when we recognise that Jesus is Lord. Paul advocates that in a home where Jesus is Lord, the wife allows her husband to become responsible for her. The husband is subject to Jesus by loving his wife and placing her well-being above his own. Children are not to be treated as objects, but are called to respect and maturity and parents are to raise their children with patience and understanding. Would Paul have advocated for submission or obedience in the family if it was oppressive or out of line with the greater kingdom principles of loving God and loving each other? No, we only have to look at the previous verses in chapter three to see that Paul's instructions to the Christian household are preceded by, founded on, and led by love. The second thing we need to be aware of is that Paul writes to a social context in which slavery existed. That doesn't mean that Paul advocates for slavery. Slavery came from the Roman Empire and Paul's emphasis in his writing is again not on overthrowing the system, but transforming it. Christians who are slaves are to honour their human masters because they are not the real master, Jesus is. Christians who have slaves are to understand that they are not their property but a fellow member of Jesus's body to be honored and embraced in love. In Colossians chapter three, verse 11, Paul writes, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. This is absolutely radical to the system. Paul was affirming equality in the eyes of God in a cultural context where slaves were considered property. And many Jews believed that Gentiles, that's anyone who was not a Jew, you and me for the record, could never be part of God's family. 
Later in chapter four, Paul mentions Onesimus, who despite being a runaway slave, is referred to as our faithful and dear brother. We don't have time to delve into all of his story today, but I'd encourage you to read Philemon, which was written to Onesimus' old master, if you want a bit more insight, and to see how Paul personally addressed the problem of slavery. Paul may not have waged a war on the system, but perhaps he started a grassroots revolution based on the simple principle that how we see each other will impact how we treat each other. So considering all of that and asking the question of how these verses apply today in a different culture and at a different time, I asked myself, what is the essence of what Paul writes? What are some of the things that characterize healthy relationships in the home? Humility, gentleness, obedience, encouragement, all of this underpinned by love. I can sign up to that. Our family may not always get it right. I certainly don't always get it right. But these are qualities that I want to be evident within our family and how we treat each other and what others experience when they walk through our front door. What is it that Paul says that characterizes healthy relationships? where I am under the authority of others or have authority over others. Sincerity, wholeheartedness, equality, fairness, all of this underpinned by love. Paul's instruction in verses 23 to 24 perhaps resonates the most for me. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It is Christ I am serving when I have the opportunity to do something that I love, but equally when I'm required to do something that I don't enjoy. It is Christ I am serving when motivation, enthusiasm or passion comes easily, but also in the times when it's a struggle. It is Christ I am serving when I have authority and in those times when I am being obedient to another person. I'm an all-in kind of person, but wholeheartedness doesn't just apply to the job that I do. It applies also as I parent, when I serve in church, when I volunteer my time to something or someone, whatever I do. Colossians 4 verses 2 to 6 says, Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Truthfully, I don't think these verses require too much explanation. These could be written to any culture at any time and make complete sense. Paul reminds the Colossians and us of the importance of prayer and allowing our actions and our words to point others to Christ. I thought it might be helpful to share a story about a friend of mine who for me captures these verses entirely. Her name is Grace. She is an evangelist through and through. And her love of telling others about Jesus is twinned with the sort of devotion to prayer that Paul talks about. I mean, this is the girl who after a full day of youth work and a night of drop-in with up to 70 young people, 
gets on the 11pm bus home from Ballysillen and starts a conversation about Jesus with the bus driver. So with the easing of lockdown, Grace and a few friends decided to make the most of their weekend and go camping at the edge of the morns. Unfortunately, they chose one of the worst weekends in the last four months to do so. After one night under canvas, surviving torrential rain and high winds, they did seriously consider whether they should just call it quits and head home early, but felt prompted to stay their second night. It was that night, after about midnight, that they were disturbed by a voice outside their tent calling, who's there? So initially, Grace and friends thought they were in trouble. Uh, when their visitor shouted next, where's the door to this place? They soon realised a drunk and rather sodden young man was outside in that awful weather. So they brought him into the relative warmth of the tent and he started to explain that he'd been separated from his friends, lost for a number of hours, had fallen into a few ditches and had at one point considered just going to sleep, but thankfully had kept on the move and came across the tents of these campers who had they had any sense would probably have gone home after the first night. Grace and her friends decided that the best thing to do would be to help get this young man home and Grace told me about their conversation in the car on the way. He discovered his late night wandering had brought him into the company of some Christians and so he declared, I'd be what they call an agnostic. It isn't that I don't believe in the Lord Jesus but I haven't seen anything. I'm waiting for a sign or something and Grace not missing a beat and given the rather dramatic circumstances of the night asked, do you think you would class this as a sign? Her new acquaintance agreed. Hmm, you hold a strong case there, so you do. You've given me something to think about. And as they dropped him safely home, their unexpected visitor declared, I'm going to tell my mum that Jesus brought me home. Make the most of every opportunity. Grace does, all the time. And she encourages me to do the same. We're on the home straight now. And I encourage you to take some time to read through uh, these final verses um, where Paul's final greetings found in Colossians 4 verses 7 to 18. Um, it's easy to skip on past these verses as just a list of names and yet they reflect the diversity of the kingdom. Just three of the people mentioned by Paul are fellow Jews, emphasising that the gospel does indeed know no boundaries. Slave, free, men, women, Jews, Gentiles. It was Paul's inclusivity and his adamant belief that the good news was for everyone that landed him in chains more than once. And from his chains, he wrote Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and the letter addressed to Philemon. To write these letters was risky and rebellious, not always in the eyes of the empire, but in the eyes of those who thought that they held a monopoly on God. To them, Paul said, slave, free, men, women, Jews, Gentiles, all made in the image of God, all invited to respond to the gospel, all welcomed into the kingdom, all able to cry, Abba, and call God Father. The same is true for us today. You are made in the image of God. You are invited to respond to the gospel and you are able to call God Father. In verse 18, Paul concludes, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. 
grace be with you. Paul wrote out of a place of suffering for the gospel, a reminder to the Colossians and to us of the cost of discipleship. Following Jesus is not easy, but Jesus did not promise me an easy life. And scripture tells me that I must be willing to pick up my cross and follow him. I haven't been in chains like Paul, but as I reflect back over the last 19 years, it has not been without pain, sacrifice or suffering. At the same time, I can wholeheartedly say that the decision to follow Jesus has been the best one I ever made. Nothing else compares to knowing him. As we finish, I'd like to share a short quote from the Bible Project. In Colossians, we find that no part of human existence is untouched by the loving and liberating rule of Jesus. Our suffering, our temptation to compromise, our moral character, the dynamics in our homes, we are invited to live in the present as a new creation. In thinking about how we live in the present as a new creation, I'd like to finish off with a few challenges for us this week. Firstly, to ask ourselves the question of how our relationships at home, work or another context might become healthier, more Christ-like, more reflective of the kingdom. Secondly, Paul tells us to make the most of every opportunity. Is there an opportunity before you this week to share the good news? Perhaps we need to pray for more opportunities and for attentiveness and boldness from the Holy Spirit to see them and act on them. Finally, we have an incredible heritage in the Christian faith. In Paul's final greetings, there are the names of people who we may never even have heard of and yet were crucial in building the kingdom. Equally, we each have people whose names we do know, people who have led us to Jesus, discipled us, walked with us. I'd encourage you to take some time this week to give thanks for them, to encourage them, or pray for them. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would help our lives to reflect your grace and your love. Help us to devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Help us to make the most of every opportunity and for our conversations to be seasoned with salt and full of grace. Thank you this morning for those who have discipled each of us. And we ask, would you help us to disciple others? Thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, and your love today. In Jesus' name.